Again, good morning, church. I hope you had a great week. Celebrate your Easter. Hope you didn't eat too much candy. You know, my, my little girl, Chelsea, amazes me because she still has lots of her Easter candy left, and I was never that way, which is probably why she looks the way she does and I look the way I look. Because uh, if we just, I just kept eating until it was gone. But anyway, there we go. All right. We're moving into a whole new sermon series, and it's ba- actually something happened this last week that kind of helped me a little bit to get into this whole thing, because I was reminded this last week how frustrating the English language really is. I went to give blood this last week, which I do about every eight or nine weeks, because I've got that kind of blood that they just love to have, and I don't mind giving blood. And, and the technician who was helping me <clears throat> was a, a lady from Poland. And I don't know how long she'd been in the country, but she spoke English fairly well, very thick accent. And, uh, of course, she had to read this long list of, of things, you know, for me to say yes or no to. And as she was reading along, she got to one phrase or one word, and she said, wait a minute, that's not what the word means. And, and I said, what do you mean? She said, I know the dictionary definition of that word, and that's not what it is. And I had to say, yeah, that's true. The definition, the dictionary definition of that word means this, but we use it in English a completely different way, and she just went off for the next five minutes on how, how hard it is to know English, because our words change all the time. She said in Polish, it's very, very precise. Whatever the definition, the, the, the dictionary definition of, of that word is, that's the word. You don't change the meaning of it, and here you come over to the United States, and words change all the time, and I had to say, yeah, let's get on. I need some blood taken out, but that's okay. I got you. I know what you mean, because words change meaning, don't they? And you almost have to keep up. Does bad mean bad? Does bad mean good? You know, what does it mean to be cool? We do all the lingo that changes all the way around us, and sometimes that gets in the way of true communication, and if you really want to understand that, take a trip to England sometime. And have a conversation with one of the locals. You can speak English back and forth for several minutes and have absolutely no idea what they said, even though you understand every word. Because they mean something different by those very same words that we mean right here. Now, let me tell you why that's important. This issue is actually getting in the way of some of you when you walk with God. This issue is actually getting in the way of some of the times that we want to Share the Word of God. This issue actually gets in the way of some people who don't want to be part of the church because they've misunderstood some very important words. This is what the Bible says. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, he just said, look, as a, as a believer, as a Christ follower, you live in a certain way that, that it's worthy of the calling. God has placed a calling on your life, and you need to live in a way that's worthy of that calling, and you do it through being humble and gentle and patient and bearing with each other and loving one another. But what if you don't really understand what those words mean? What if God means something by those words, and you mean something else. What if you really don't get what he's trying to say? You're going to live according to what you think God wants, when in fact he wants something completely different. Which is why we're going to take the next five weeks, and we're going to go through this series. It's called, Five Misunderstood Words and Why They Matter. Each week we're going to look at one word, It helps define who we are as a Christ follower. 
and the, the, the misunderstandings about that particular word and a biblical understanding of what that word really means and how that's going to apply to our lives. And here's the five words we're going to look at. Love, you probably don't really understand that word. That's what we're going to find out today. How about the word righteousness? You know, you're supposed to be righteous. Have you ever been walked up to somebody and said, well, yeah, I'm righteous. You better be. If you're not righteous, you don't know the Lord. You better be righteous. But see, you don't know what it means. That's why you don't use the word. Peace? Oh, so many people get this one wrong. They think they know what peace is. Since they don't have what they think it is, they struggle. Joy and humility. Oh, that's the big one. Once we get to that one, that's going to, be, that's going to surprise you. When we get to humility. What you think humility is, what the Bible says humility is, are two very different things, I guarantee it. Five weeks. Today, what we're going to talk about is the word love. We're going to start right here. We're going to talk, first of all, about the importance of the word love and understanding what love is all about. First of all, remember this. It is the fulfillment of God's word. Everything else we're going to be talking about, the humility and the righteous, all of that is actually wrapped up in this one particular word. If you get this one right, you're going to get the other ones right too. But we'll still go over them, okay? Don't worry. This is the fulfillment of God's word. Everything God was trying to say to you in that word is found right here in this little four-letter word called love. This is what the Bible says. For everything we know about God's word is summed up in a single sentence. Love others as you love yourself. That's an act of true freedom. Time and time again, Jesus will say it, Paul will say it, Scripture will say it. Love is the fulfillment of everything God has been trying to say. We've got to get this one right. If you get it right, everything else falls in line. Problem is we don't get it right. We'll see that before we're done. By the way, the next thing about love and why it is so important is this. If you don't love, you can't know God. Without love, you can't... Okay, let me, let me get this straight. Without love, you cannot know God. There is no way to say, I know God, but I'm not very loving. I don't really like to love. Then the truth is you don't know God. I dealt with a, a man oh, several years ago, and he was talking about a, a church plant that they used to have and how it all fell apart and all that. And, and they were very rule-oriented, and they were very structured, and they, they had a real good theology. You know, you had to believe this and this and this, and everybody had to sign off a little statement. And the church all fell apart. And he said, you know, the, the reason is because we, you know, we remembered. We remembered the, the Bible, but, but, but we forgot the love. And I didn't have the heart to say to him, then you didn't know the Bible. And you didn't even know God. The reason your church fell apart is because God wasn't there. You can't have a church without love. You can't have doctrine without love. I'm not saying that... that that love is a good idea or you just won't be complete. I'm telling you, you can't know him without this. You know how I know that? Because it's what the Bible says. Take a look at this. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. If you say, well, I've got a great church. We just don't have a very loving church. I say, you don't have a church at all. You got a group of people. You got a club. But a church is something that's built on the Word of God. It's built on the presence of God. And if there isn't love there, God isn't there. You know how I know that? Because that's what the Bible says. That's how important this Word is. You've got to get it right. It's not about what you know. It's not about your doctrine. It's about your love. 
And if you don't get that right, you're going to miss it completely. And yet, this word is so misunderstood. The English language is so unclear about this particular word. When you can use the same word to describe your spouse, your favorite team, and your dog, you're in a real world world of hurt. I love my wife. I love the Dodgers. I love my dog. Guys, that can't be, all right? And yet, we use that terminology, don't we? You know why? Because we don't get it. We do not understand this particular... And by the way, it's also one of the reasons why a lot of men turn against the church. I've got several books on my shelf, you know, why men hate going to church, things like that. And one of the reasons is because we stress the word love so much, but they don't understand the word love. They think love is some of this touchy-feely, you know, kind of gooey stuff. You know, I just love you so much. Oh, I don't know. And they go, yeah, man, I don't want that kind of stuff. When in fact... That's not love at all. That's not what the Bible means by love. To understand and to gauge your response to love, I want you to look at a series of pictures. We're going to go through these a little bit of time. So let's see what you do. Right? Let's see this, this next picture right here. Let's see what we've got. Oh, look at that. Is that cute? Don't you just love that little thing there? Bring the lights down just a little bit too because it's going to be important. Okay, let's go to the next one. Look at our kids. Oh, isn't that great? Oh, man, I just... Don't you love those little kitties? Let's go on. Next one. (laughs) I mean, what do you do with something like that, right? How about this one? I love this one. This is really good. If you like wiener dogs, there you go. (laughs) There you go. Now, what do you think of this? Or how about this? That's where the kid lives, by the way. That's his home. Or this? Did you notice how the oohs and ahs went away? How about this one? That's an iconic photograph. It was taken in 1993. That's a vulture waiting for the child to die. The photographer who took this picture um, came on a UN plane. Now, the parents of this child right now were over at the plane getting food. And the photographer saw this and took the, he, he chased the vulture away. But afterwards, he wrote, the biggest regret was that he didn't go pick up the child. All he did was chase away the vulture, but he didn't pick up the child. You know, sometimes what happens is we equate love with that gooey feeling you get when you saw the puppies and the kittens. Oh, that's love. I just love those little things so much. But when we see the homeless and the starving, we don't see it as love. And it's no wonder that men have trouble with the church. We define it all wrong. And therefore, we live it out all incorrectly. We live it out in some sort of gooey sentimentality. So when I say, I love you, you think of the kittens and the puppies. Today, before we, before we leave, let's get it right, okay? Let's get it right. We're going to start right here. This is how we know what love is, okay? Right now, Scripture's already going to say, look, he's going to define it for us right now. It has nothing to do with gooey sentimentality about kittens and puppies and Valentine's Day. You're going to find it probably has far more to do with the other pictures I showed you. 
This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. No gooey sentimentality there. Don't think that Jesus was on the cross going, oh, I just love these people so much. It hurt. He was dying of crucifixion. No sentimentality at all. But he was love. Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. And then he goes on to say this. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him. We're going to talk about that phrase in just a little moment. How can the love of God be in him? If you could see those pictures and not have a visceral response, John, the apostle, would say, are you sure you really know God? If the pictures of the kitties and the puppies made you go, oh, it's wonderful, and the pictures of the starving said, eh, seen it before no big deal something's wrong you don't even understand what love is dear children let us not love with words or tongue we could substitute in a gooey sentimentality but with actions and in truth okay now why is this passage so important ready first of all it's this way love is defined by the life of jesus we know love by this it's what jesus did okay Love is defined by the life. It's not defined by, dic- by Webster's Dictionary. It's not defined by pop culture. It is defined by the life of Jesus. By the way, you're going to find out that all five of these words we're going to look at are defined by what? The life of Jesus, of course. Scripture is very clear. It, it explains what these things are, but it explains them in a living dictionary called Jesus Christ. You want to know what the word means by these things? You, you look to Jesus. In fact, <clears throat> this got me thinking a long time ago when I heard a preacher. This is not mine. So I have to tell you, I think it was Andy Stanley that I was listening to. I listen to preachers as well. So I'll give him credit where credit is due. If you want to know what Jesus meant by what Jesus said, then watch what Jesus did. Okay? Sometimes we, we want to debate, well, what is love? Well, and you, you, you know what? You want to know what love is? Then you look how Jesus lived, because that was love. Same thing would be true with humility and righteousness, everything else. If you want to know what Jesus meant, or in this case, if you want to know what the Bible means by a certain word, it will be lived out according to the life of Jesus, defined by his life. Simply put, after watching Jesus, if we're really going to love, I'm going to sum it up for you here, then we'll go into detail. You have to do this. Ready? We have to care. We have to act. And we have to set healthy limits. You know how I know that? Because that's what Jesus did. He cared enough to take action within healthy limits. You ever try to define what the word love is? What is the word love? Let's see what you think of this one right here. Try this for a definition. Ready? To love means to care and be concerned enough about others that we are moved to do what we can within healthy boundaries. Read that with me, will you? To love means to care and be concerned enough about others that we are moved to do what we can within healthy boundaries. One more time, here we go. To love means to care and be concerned enough about others that we are moved to do what we can within healthy boundaries. It has nothing to do with gooey sentimentality. 
When we say we love one another, it means I care enough about you and I'm concerned enough about what's happening in your life that I will do what I can to help you within healthy boundaries. Notice I didn't say to do whatever you can do. That's not healthy. That's not love. It's to do what we can do within healthy boundaries. Jesus one one time told a story about love and he never even used the word love. He told a story that's all about love and the way we live it out. And not once did he even use the word. I want to read it for you now. It's called the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we'll kind of take it apart about what it tells us about love, the biblical idea of love. Here we go. Jesus replied. In other words, people were talking about, you know, but he was talking about being a good neighbor. And they said, yeah, but who's my neighbor? Jesus told a story. He was a great storyteller. This is how Jesus mostly preached. Obviously, I'm not Jesus. I don't preach this way. He just told stories. Jesus replied and said, a certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. And they stripped him and beat him and went off, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a certain priest was going down along that road. And when he saw him, he passed on the other side. And likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place, saw him pass on the other side. Okay, stop right there. In other words, Jesus said, look, this guy gets beat up, left by the side of the road. The two most important people in the Jewish religion, a priest and a Levite. Be like a pastor and your Sunday school teacher. Walk down the road and they see him, but they don't want to get involved. They just step to the other side and go right past him. But a certain Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him. And when he saw him, he felt compassion, and he came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put them on his, his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Let's stop right there. When Jesus said this, the whole crowd went, <gasps> you know why? Why would the whole crowd go, because <gasps> there's a Samaritan. Why? What was so important about Samaritans? They were the half-breed outcast of the day. Today in certain uh, segments of our society, 20 or 30 years ago especially, Jesus could have told the story by saying two white men walked past, but but then an African-American came down the road. Or in certain circles today, you might say, uh, but it was an illegal immigrant that walked down the road and saw him and had pity. Whoever's the outcast in your life, that's what Jesus is talking about. And he had compassion. He bandaged him and he put him on his own beast and then continues. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. Whatever more you spend when I return, I will repay you. Do you remember what I told you about love? The first thing was this, right? We have to care. But before I can really get you to understand what that really, really means, I have to teach you two Greek words. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Okay, the first one you've probably heard before. The second one, probably not so much. The first one is this, okay? I've got to teach you the word. Next one, please. Cardia, okay? 
cardia and the word splachna. Now, the first one is pretty easy to pronounce. It's called cardia. Now, I can't put the, it's not cardia, it's cardia. Say that with me, cardia. And it means, I'm pretty sure you figured it out, it means heart, which is what you get cardiogram and things like that, cardiovascular surgery, all kind of stuff. That comes from the Greek word cardia, and it means heart. The second word is pronounced it, you can't spell it in English, okay? And if I put the Greek spelling up there, you wouldn't know what to do with it anyway. So it's pronounced splachna, okay? The G and the K kind of go like that, okay? Like you're hawking something up or whatever it is. <clears throat> yeah, trust me, in Greek there is a hawk the something up kind of sound. Okay, it's splachna. Say splachna with me. Splachna. It's almost an onomatopoeia, if you know what that is. How many know what an onomatopoeia is? Oh, yeah, there you go. The rest of you look it up when you get home, okay? Splachna. And it just means, ready? Bowels. Doesn't mean stomach. It means literally bowels. Some of you have splachna difficulties, don't you? Yes, indeed. <laughs> splachna. Now, the reason that's important... There's something I'm going to tell you in just a minute. Keep that in mind. But let's move on to this one. Love is what you feel in your gut, not your heart. Biblical, scriptural love is what you feel in your gut, not your heart. Do you remember the passage we read just a couple minutes ago? It's there in your bulletins, it's there in your sermon notes where he talked about um, um, if you have the material possessions and you see your brother, but you have no pity in him. Let's see that, that passage right there. If anyone has the material possessions and sees him but has no pity in him. See, the, the, the phrase has no pity on that is such a true, weak translation. None of those words exist in the originals. None of them. This is the NIV just trying to clean things up. Because the phrase actually in the Greek says, if anyone has material possessions and you close up your splachna, if you have a King James version, it'll probably say, and you close the bowels of compassion to him. It sounds wonderful, except for the problem of the words of compassion aren't in the originals. The original world just says this. The original Greek says this. If you see somebody and you can do something about it and you close up your bowels, how does the love of God live in you? Why would it say that? I'm not trying to be disgusting. It's trying to get across the point that love is something you feel in your gut. When you see those kittens and those puppies, you don't feel anything in your gut. It's an emotional. It's a sentiment thing. It's one, okay, it's great, great, but don't call it love. When you see those starving people, you see a vulture actually moving towards a kid, and your gut doesn't get into a knot that says, man, then you have no idea what love is. Do you think God... When he looked down and saw the mess we got ourselves and just had this gushy sentimentality. Oh, look at those poor people. I think I'll go help them. I dare. I care about these people so 
much that it gets me here when they're hurting. That's why the Bible says this. Above all, love each other deeply. We think of deep love as a deep sentimentality. I really have sentiment about you. I daydream about you. It's wonderful. That's all it means. Deep. Right there. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one to use whatever gift he has. Receive to serve others faithfully, administering God's grace in his various forms. When I see you and you're hurting, I want to be able to do something about it, which we'll get to in just a moment. You see, the opposite of love is not hate, is it? What is the opposite of love? Apathy. I don't care. You going through a tough time? I don't give a rip. You're hurting? I don't care. That's what bothers me sometimes when, when I see the political positions that some people take, as if to say, you know, we just don't care. We've taken this, this whole idea of, of, of individualism in our country way, way too far. Hey, they, you know, they, they, they made their own bed and they can lie in it. I don't care what happened. So did we make our own bed. It's called sin. And that bed leads straight to, straight to hell. But fortunately, our Father felt something so deeply for us that He came to do something about it. If you don't care, you don't love. When we say we love each other, it doesn't mean that we have gushy feelings. It means that we really care what happens. How about this? You want to know how you can really show that you love somebody? The next time you say to somebody, how you doing, mean it. I mean, really mean it. I'm, I'm concerned. Now, it can still be in passing. Hey, how you doing? But actually mean it. So if they're not doing well, you can say, hey, what's, what's going on? How can I help? See, that's love. It's care and concern. And, and the life of Jesus tells us this, that real love always moves us to action. It's not just a feeling about it. It's not just getting that, that, that deep gut reaction, but it's saying, you know what? I'm going to do something. A love that doesn't move us to do what we can do isn't love. Indigestion, perhaps. Guilt. But it's not love. Because love will move us to do what we can. This is why the Bible even says this. Look. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well. Oh, I'm so concerned about what you're doing. Keep warm, and I, I hope that you find some food. But does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? Sentimentality. But they're still cold and hungry. Love moves us to action. But, but I need to move on to the third point really quickly here because not for time reason, because I need you to understand the next point is very important. And it's simply this. The life of Jesus and the love of Jesus tells me you can't do it all. Don't even try. See, we're not talking about doing everything about everything you see. There should be care and there should be concern. But you can't do it all. 
Don't even try. We have to love within healthy limbs. Let me ask, did Jesus heal everybody when he walked this earth? He didn't, did he? He raised some people from the dead. We know of two. Did he raise everybody from the dead? Did the the graveyards open up and people just started walking out? No, he didn't, did he? Huh. Isn't that interesting? And not only that, he had time to do that. He actually took, are you ready for this, alone time. Alone time with just him up in the, when he could have been down in the valleys teaching a bunch of people. He could have been down there multiplying the bread, the loaves, and the fish, feeding, feeding thousands of people. He could have been down there in the valleys raising up the dead, healing the sick. Instead, he actually took time to go up into the mountains and pray and get away from everybody. How can he love if he isn't going to do it all? Remember the Samaritan? The Samaritan, did he cancel his trip and say, you know what, okay, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stay right by this guy's side. And he didn't, did he? He did what he could. He took him in, bought him a room, and moved on. Said, I'll be back in a little while. But now he's in your care. Remember the passage about if you have the world's possession? Great word, if. If you, have the, if you can do something about it, Okay, great. But what if you can't? Well, Scripture doesn't tell you to do what you can't do. You have to learn healthy boundaries. Scripture tells us this. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. In other words, God has gifted us each a little differently. There are certain things we can do, certain things we can't do. And we have to learn as we walk in love to know what we can and we can't do and to do what we can and not try to do the things we can't do and not try to take the world's problems on our shoulders. We feel, we care, but it doesn't mean I can do everything about everything I see. I have to learn healthy limits just the way Jesus had to learn healthy limits limit. So I'm going to give you, these aren't in your notes, you can write them down if you want to, right here. I'm going to give you two ways to avoid the burnout that some of you are feeling because you do have that gut reaction, don't you? And it makes you want to do everything you can about everything you see, and it's killing you. God never meant you to do that. First is this, you have to know your strengths and weaknesses. What do you do well? What don't you do well? I love the story of the Good Samaritan. Not just because of what he did, but because he knew his strengths and weaknesses. He knew he wasn't a good nurse. He did what he could in the beginning, then he brought him to an innkeeper and said, look, he needs rats, you take care of him, I'll pay. That's great. This man knew what he could do and what he couldn't do. Some of you are going to have to figure that out with trial and error. And here's, here's what I can tell you if you're doing too much. Is it killing you? Are you crushed by everything that you're trying to do? Then you're trying to do too much. Our Father doesn't crush you with this. There are probably people around you that, you can, that can help you. There are people around you that can carry that burden and help you. Because this is the second thing about avoiding burnout. Sometimes, love says no. 
Parents, have you got that one yet? Teenagers, are you learning that? Sometimes the best way I, I can love you is to say no. No, no, I, I, I won't do that anymore. I can't do that for you anymore. It's not helping you. We had a discussion about this this last week, as a matter of fact, in staff, about the fact that sometimes love says no, and sometimes the best way to love somebody is to say no. I've had relatives that uh, got into some serious difficulties, and they needed lots of money to help them out. And when I was younger, and my splock turned because they were just, you know, so pitiful. Go through a lot of money helping them. And you know what I discovered with some of them? Didn't help. A month or two later, they're still in the same situation, except that now I don't have any money. Didn't help. They were living off me. They weren't going anywhere. And I had to learn to say no. No. Hey, you know, can I? No. No, you can't. Won't help. I care about you enough to say no. How can we help you? Let's figure out a way to help you, but I, I can't. What you want. No, it won't help. Matter of fact, we even have a word for what we call enabling. It's when I enable your behavior. It's when helping, instead of helping you change your behavior and become a better person, all I do is enable your behavior. You get to stay just the way that you are for year after year after year because I'm paying the bills for you. That's not love. If I love you, I, I want to I care about helping you. And sometimes the word is no. It's interesting, though, one of the, the best plays I ever learned, the first time it really hit me hard was watching, out of all things, Bill Cosby show. Remember, Bill, how many of you are, are willing to put up your hand and say, we're so old, we remember the Bill Cosby show? <coughs> yeah, sorry, guys, it's true. What was it, the, uh, was it the 80s or 90s? I don't know when it was. But uh, I remember I had a lot more hair back then, so it, I was a lot younger. And his, Bill Cosby's oldest daughter, and her name, I don't remember what her the oldest daughter was. You know, she's kind of a wild thing. She wanted to stay out all night and wait for tickets out online for some concert. And of course she gave him, he said, no, 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 it wouldn't be safe. No, no, no. And she gave him all the reasons, well, because, you know, my, this person gets to do it and I really want this concert and, and uh, you know, why won't you let me do this? You don't trust me. All the stuff that, that uh, kids will pull on us as parents because we pull it on our parents. Okay, it's just turn around. One day their kids will pull it on them. You go, yes, payback. And he looked at her and he said, you can't go. I love you. The answer is no. Whoa. I'm not saying no because I hate you. I'm saying no because I love you. Our Father loves us so much that he doesn't want us to stay in a life of sin. That's why... When we try to walk with him and, and get in a relationship with him and yet still keep our life of sin, our father says, no, you can't do that. I love you. No. Let me help you change. It means sometimes we say to one another, 
I love you. No, I won't do this for you. Let me help you change. If we don't learn that, and we just pick up the first two, that feeling, that that gut reaction that, that brings us to care, and then our desire to do something, it's going to kill us, and that is not your Father's plan for you. You have to care right there. Care enough to do something about it, whatever you can, and care enough to do it all within healthy limits. And that's what the Scripture means by the word love. Now, if there's gooey sentimentality in there too, okay, that's all right, that's fine. But it didn't have to be. It's just caring enough to do what you can within the limits God set. Let's pray about that. Father, thank you. We want to learn to love one another, but, but Father, we, it, it's, it's got to be beyond just the feeling of that sentimentality and everything, Father. It's got to be more of a caring, a deep caring about what happens and a willingness to do whatever we can, whatever you call us to do, Father. Because we can't do it all. Your son didn't do it all. We can't do it all. Father, we're going to need some wisdom to know how to love appropriately in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Amen.